Everybody wants to know, how dangerous is inflation? How long will it last? Will there be another recession? What's the ongoing impact of climate change in California, the U.S., and the rest of the world? Those questions matter to businesses, to policymakers, and to taxpaying homeowners and consumers. The UCLA Anderson Economic Forecast has been looking for answers for 70 years. It has to cope with ongoing uncertainties and with sudden surprises, guided by a working principle. Economic forecasting is an art, as well as a science. I'm Warren Alney, and this is How the World Works, a podcast of UCLA Anderson's School of Management. For the past five of those 70 years, Jerry Nicholsberg has been faculty director of the UCLA Anderson Economic Forecast. Welcome, Jerry, and happy anniversary. Thank you, Warren, and thank you for the invitation to be here with you. I'm just starting my sixth year as faculty director, and it is a real honor. The Anderson Forecast has been around for 70 years as a research institute at UCLA, and this is somewhat unprecedented. So we are celebrating this long-running work that we've been doing in education on economic forecasting and understanding how the economy evolves through all kinds of difficult times, including the present one. If it's lasted for 70 years, as you suggest, it must have a pretty good record. We do have a good record. We focus very much on data and what does data tell us and how do we understand data in the context of the way in which we understand the economy works. And so we have been one of the first to call turning points in the economy, in particular recessions uh, throughout time. One exception is 2008 because we didn't foresee the collapse of Lehman Brothers. But we were the first in 2020 to say the economy was in a recession in the second week of March of 2020. You talked about the use of data and your reliance on data. Isn't forecasting an art as well as a science? It is indeed. And so the way in which we put together our forecasts is we look at the data first. We try to interpret the data. We then use what are called econometric models, which is a fancy name for statistical models of the economy, to carefully ferret out the relationships amongst the variables, the relationships amongst the data. And then we ask ourselves, well, what in the assumptions of those models has changed? And when we get an answer that something has changed, we ask, well, what is the economic logic behind that change and the way in which it should affect the economy? And then we will adjust our forecasts in that way, still trying to maintain the strict discipline of the statistical relationships, but changing underlying assumptions. And so that's part of the art of forecasting. Always when you do that, you want to be able to give the why of the forecast. And for us, the why of the forecast is at least as important as the forecast itself. You know, we talked a little bit about some of the things that were not predictable, like the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So the why of the forecast prior to that still remained valid, and we were able to change our forecast, and understand the why of that. So as those stories 
that really matter. And they also help not only us interpret the forecast, but us help our students and the governmental community and the business community interpret the forecast and understand why the forecast is what it is and why that forecast may show a trajectory for the economy that in fact is not what evolves. So it helps us make good decisions and dynamically change those decisions. So again, it's an art and that's much more than a guessing game. It's much more than a guessing game. It's an informed art and we have a forecast team and we are uh, fairly hard on each other in forcing each other to explain why a forecast might change so that we can really hone in on what is the economics, what are the data, what's the changed underlying environment. And that's one of the principal reasons why the UCLA Anderson forecast has been so successful in its predictions of the future of the economy. And given what you said about the influence of the forecast, this has a lot of responsibility involved with it. It does. And we take that responsibility very seriously. As educators, it's important that uh, we communicate kind of clearly what we're doing and why we're doing it, because that helps our audience understand not just what we're doing, but also the decisions that they have to make that are maybe tangentially related to the kind of work that we do. It sounds to me as if there's no way you can just apply old formulas to this, that there's constant change in the kind of data that you get and the way that you have to deal with it. That's correct. You know, 70 years ago, when the forecast started, the impetus for starting the forecast was a concern that we didn't have, particularly at the national level, data with enough fidelity and a way to interpret that data to make good policy. And that didn't just happen at UCLA. There were other efforts across the country to develop data. This was data that was not present during the Great Depression, and that was the concern. But then the way in which forecasts were done was very much judgmental. That is, the forecast team would come together and they would come to a consensus based on their understanding of the economic relationships. And then we come along a little bit later, we have mainframe computers, we have developments in statistics, and we're beginning to build models. So that's one change, new data, also new methodologies. And that has evolved since then, as we get new data. One of the initiatives that has been ongoing throughout time and is still happening at the forecast is the development of new data. For example, we have developed a series on micro-businesses, and this has been in partnership with the company GoDaddy, who has provided the data on their business at a county level. We've developed new data on commercial real estate across eight markets in California, and we're now engaged in developing data on what is happening with strip malls in the troubled retail sector. So we develop new data. We also develop new models. I spoke a little while ago about a new model for the Chinese economy, and we're developing new data for that and on the interaction between the Chinese economy and the California economy. 
So the process is dynamic and our models are changing over time. We just last year revised the California model using some new methodologies for getting better fidelity in our forecasts. And this is an ongoing part of what the forecast team does. Does the forecast have a lot of support? Does it have a lot of influence? One of the unique things about the UCLA Anderson forecast, our mission is one of education. And it's education of our students in business forecasting, a critical part of business education. It is in projecting the research that we do out into the general public with continuing education for the business community and the governmental community, because that's our mission rather than the mission of many others who do forecasting, which is supporting their individual businesses or doing consulting. We are well supported by the Anderson School, by UCLA, and by the University of California system. And so we're very fortunate that this kind of support allows us to remain independent and to provide analysis that basically lets the data chips fall where they may. Does the forecast influence policy at the local level, the state level, the federal level? The forecast does. And one of the reasons why the forecast influences policy is because of the aforementioned independence. So we do presentations to the state legislature, to the executive branch of the state, to cities and counties throughout the state. And indeed, our forecasts for the nation appear in national publications and in the U.S. Congress, particularly through the exposure that we have to California Congress people and senators. You care subject to uh, surprises. You mentioned not anticipating that Lehman Brothers was going to collapse in 2008, but you couldn't have anticipated COVID either, or perhaps even what's happening in Ukraine. That is correct. In the first week of March, it looked like the U.S. economy was doing well. In the second week of March, we realized that the data were telling us that COVID was much more serious as far as its economic impact certainly was much more serious as a health and safety pandemic event, but much more serious in terms of the economic impact. So one week after we had a forecast of continued economic growth, we, for the first time in the 70 years of the forecast, we came out with a revision to our forecast in which we said, we are now in a recession. The impact of this event has been serious on the economy and we expect a fairly sharp downturn. And we're the first ones to actually interpret the data that way. And of course, that's in fact what happened. With respect to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we didn't predict that. I know that some political scientists said that this was highly likely. And so that certainly affected inflation rates. And our forecast for inflation prior to that invasion was that inflation would come down more rapidly than in fact it has. So with the onset of the invasion, we revised our forecast there once again. There are so many uncertainties. It would seem to me that revisions would have to occur all the time, and yet you said they're fairly infrequent. They are. One characteristic of a large economy such as the U.S., or indeed California, 
is it has a lot of inertia, you know, much like the ocean-going freighters that are coming into the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach that are carrying seven to 10,000 containers. It takes a lot to turn it. And so sometimes you get these events that turn it on a dime, but mostly that's not the case. Uh, one of the things that we do try to emphasize, however, is the story or the economics behind our forecast. And in doing so, the uncertainty that's associated with our forecast so that those who are looking at, reading, interpreting our forecast know how to interpret data that comes in between our quarterly revisions and judge the extent to which our forecast may be veering off from the actual trajectory of the economy. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. What about the next recession? Everybody wants to know about that. Based on the history and what's happened so far, what do you think is going to happen next, especially in California? You're the head of the California branch of UCLA Anderson. When you look at the data on the U.S. and on California, you see very strong indications of continued growth. Now, the growth rates won't be as rapid as they have been over the last year and a half because we're not recovering from a recession anymore. And we are at or in some places in California near full employment. And when you're at full employment, the way in which the economy grows is through new technology and through new entrance to the labor force. So all of the data is indicating that we are going to continue to grow, to grow more along the lines of trend of two to two and a half percent, but technology may make that a little bit higher. However, there are a few headwinds and there are two important ones. The first is monetary policy by the Federal Reserve. Now, the Federal Reserve has two mandates. One is full employment. We have that. The other is to control inflation. We don't have that. And so that's their focus. And they are trying to control inflation by raising short-term interest rates. That's their policy tool. But it's a blunt tool. And it works through investment including investment in housing. And there's no sort of magic number that they need to hit in order to bring inflation under control without inducing a recession. So there is considerable concern that the Federal Reserve will overshoot with interest rates and we will get a near-term, mild but near-term recession. So that's the recession risk that people are talking about. But the data so far suggests that even though housing markets are soft, we are not headed for a recession, particularly here in California. What are the numbers? When you talk about being concerned about interest rates and there being a possibility of them pushing us into recession, at what point do the interest rates get worrisome? So Warren, that is the real question. And the answer is no one knows. And that's why there's so much risk because the Federal Open Market Committee of the Federal Reserve is trying to make policy without knowing the answer to that question. So what they are doing is they are looking at past inflation rates and judging them to be too high and then raising interest rates in order to combat that. But you know, it's in some sense like fighting the last war. They don't look at, because there is no data on contemporaneous inflation rates. And so there is a risk that they're going to overshoot. What would you advise them to do if they were listening to the UCLA Anderson forecast? So, you know, we have interest rates going up such that mortgage interest rates and long-term interest rates, which is where the Fed ultimately affects the economy, to the mid sixes. 
And I think that's probably what they ought to be looking at. That's really kind of a guess on our part, because just as they don't know, we don't either. It's something that economists, in spite of a lot of research into this, uh, simply haven't pinned down because what the exact interest rate or sort of a small band around the exact interest rate is changes over time. You mentioned housing construction as a major factor. California obviously has an enormous housing shortage. If California were to embark on a big housing construction program, would that be helpful to the economy overall? It would be helpful to the economy overall. And in fact, the new laws that have been passed by the state legislature making it easier to build in California are having an impact. So California has been bucking the trend in the U.S. with housing construction slowing down less and in some cases even speeding up as opposed to slowing down. Part of that is the building of ADUs, auxiliary dwelling units, that are now much easier to build in single-family zoned neighborhoods. So there is some movement there. The fly in the ointment is that employment and construction in California today matches the number of jobs that were in existence during the speculative bubble in 2006. So there is a shortage of construction labor, and that puts a constraint on how fast California's residential construction can grow, regardless of what the interest rates might be. Let me ask you about another topic, and that is climate change. And the kinds of changes are going to have to be made to adjust to what's happening with climate. And what's that going to do to the cost of food, for example? And in California now, with the drought, even the cost of water, is that something you take into account when you're doing the forecast? Warren, that's a great question. It's something that we've been thinking about for a couple of years. We have had one conference on it, and this month we're going to have another conference on that very topic. It is so important over the next 10 years for what's going to happen to the U.S. and California economy that with the generous support of the state legislature, we are embarking on hiring a climate change economist to work at the forecast to incorporate climate change to our economic forecasts. And when that work is complete, we'll be able to put in different scenarios that will allow us to look at how climate change affects the California economy year by year, not just this in 10 years, we expect the Greenland ice cap to do X, Y, Z, but rather what's going to happen in 2025, 2026, 2027, and in that regard, we want to look at sea level rise, the impact on housing, the impact on capital and business, adaptation, drought that you mentioned, and the price of water, the impact on agriculture, and uh, the wildfires, and that impact on the state. So all of those things kind of factor into what's going to be happening in the California economy. And it's something that we think is extremely important to bring into the discussion on the trajectory of the California economy. And they're all, it seems to me, rather tricky, uh, pretty hard to estimate how many wildfires we're going to have or what the impact of the drought is going to be when we don't have any control over those things. That's exactly right. And that's why what we want to do is to be able to disseminate forecasts that are based on different scenarios, on drought, on wildfires, on sea level rise, as we go forward, we can see, well, how are these things moving 
how rapidly are certain aspects of climate change happening. And we'll have the scenarios there where we can say, well, that's going to change the forecast in this particular way. And that's something that I think is lacking both in the U.S. forecast, in the California forecast, not just from the Anderson forecast, but I think more generally in the discussion about what's going to happen with the economy going forward over the next 10 years. We talked a bit about the Fed a little while ago. Is the Fed behind the curve? I think most folks who are looking at the economy are behind the curve with respect to climate change. And the reason is that the immediate need for the Fed and others is the next year. And climate change, although it's happening rapidly in not just in geologic time, but in our lifetime, is not happening as rapidly over the next year. And so it's not such a big factor for September 2022 to September 2023, but it is a big factor when you have to think about infrastructure planning. What about the kind of changes that are going to be made for agriculture and changes in the way crops are irrigated, for example, that kind of thing? Is the price of food inevitably going to go up? That is certainly going to depend on the yields. When we look at California, agriculture is concentrated in fruits and vegetables and nuts and the like. And we've already seen with the restrictions on labor migration to the U.S. and the droughts, a conversion of agricultural fields from intensive water using to less intensive water using and a migration of those water-using crops to other parts of the country or world where climate change means to get increased rainfall rather than less rainfall. What about farm labor and the impact on that of all the political controversy that's going on about immigration from other countries? What we've seen in the data thus far is a reduction in the amount of migrant farm labor. So this would be labor that's coming from Mexico, but increasingly from Central America. And of course, that Central America has been hit as hard, if not harder than other parts of the world in terms of the impact of climate change on their agriculture. But we've seen a decrease in migration, at least in successful migration. And what that has meant for California agriculture is a labor shortage. And when you have a labor shortage, wages go up, and that provides agricultural business incentives to move to even more capital-intensive farming. And we are seeing that going on now. The forecast has been going for 70 years, but it seems to me we are entering a time when it's very interesting to be involved in economic forecasting. What are some of the things that you're most concerned about that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? Well, the forecast has been growing and exploring new aspects of the economy as the economy has been changing. In 1952, we had a very different economy than we have today. And in through the 60s, California was a manufacturing economy. Now we're an advanced manufacturing economy. So some of the things that we're exploring in this now globalized world is the globalization of supply chains and how the changes in that are going to affect the California economy. In that regard, we've been working on building a model of the Chinese economy and trying to incorporate the impact of changes in the Chinese economy on the California economy. So we're looking at globalization, we're looking at climate change, 
and we're looking at population changes and migration. One of the exciting things that we are going to be moving into is more in-depth on housing, home prices, migration, and housing policy. And in that regard, with the Zyman Center for Real Estate, we are jointly hiring this year a real estate economist who's going to work on forecasting these aspects of the California economy. So we have a lot of exciting things going on at the forecast and not related to forecast directly, but one of the things that we're doing that we're very excited about is as part of our educational mission, we are mentoring students from Cal State Dominguez Hills who are undergraduates into their graduate program and helping them learn how to do research. And that's a really exciting program, providing new pathways for folks from underserved communities into the economics profession it means that we'll be in the process of asking questions about the Los Angeles economy and the California economy that maybe we didn't think of before. What's happened with regard to defense spending? How important was that in the past to California? How important is it likely to be in the future? Defense spending has been extremely important to the California economy and remains so. And it has been concentrated in Los Angeles, Orange County, and San Diego. It has now spread to the Bay Area, and in particular Silicon Valley, because defense durable goods have become much more sophisticated. And so we track defense spending. There is now in the most recent federal budget, a significant uptick in defense expenditures. President Biden made a proposal. The Congress said it's not enough and boosted it. That's going to disproportionately come to California in the development of new defense systems and the production of sophisticated components that go into airplanes and tanks and the other things that the defense establishment uses. We are also expecting an increase in defense durable expenditures by our allies in Europe and in Asia. So we're in a period of increased demand for California manufacturing and California research and development because of this. But this you know, has its swings. We went through a period after Vietnam, for example, of California having a fairly serious contraction, particularly in Los Angeles County in defense spending. Well, it is fascinating to be able to ask you almost anything I can think of with regard to the California economy and the economy of the country and have you come up with such well-informed answers. So good luck in however much of the next 70 years you are going to be the faculty advisor to the UCLA Anderson forecast. I take it you don't plan to retire anytime soon. I do not. And, you know, what's happening at the forecast now, I think is really exciting. It's intellectually challenging. It's interesting. And I'm very much looking forward to being a part of that. Well, it's great to hear about it. And I feel privileged to be able to talk to you about it. So thank you so much, Jerry Nicholsberg, again, faculty advisor to the UCLA Anderson forecast after 70 years with plenty of years left to come. Thanks again. Thank you. I'm Warren Alney, host of How the World Works. Thanks very much for listening.